Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Violet Luca, digital editor, and today I'm joined by... David Fear, the senior editor from Rolling Stone. Nick Pinkerton, a uh, peripatetic freelancer. A Ronin. A Ronin. Yeah. Wherever film criticism is needed, you'll find yeah. Nick. You got it. So today we're going to be discussing Everybody Wants Some, two exclamation points at the end of that, and uh, sports movies in general, because why not? So, um to kick things off. (laughs) (laughs) I see what you did there. Um, David, you had mentioned you had enthused a great deal about the film a few weeks ago when you were on the um, New Directors, New Films episode. Can you sort of summarize the film? And, you know, obviously this is a Richard Linklater movie, so it's not just about sports. It's about life. Heavy. Heavy. That was was far out. That was heavy. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, it's essentially... The story of uh, a rookie baseball player, a rookie college baseball player, who is driving to his university to meet his fellow teammates three days before classes start. Mm-hmm. He has to move into this house. There's an off-campus house that all these baseball players sort of sort of share, these two houses. And he's going to be rooming in there. He gets to meet all his team players. There's going to be an unofficial practice so they can kind of get a sense of how the team's going to work. And they spend three days essentially drinking a lot of beer, uh, going to uh, various nightclubs, one of which is a country and western thing. This takes place in Texas. Another which is a, a, a discotheque because it takes place in the beginning of the 80s. And uh, Texas didn't quite get the memo that discos were done by the time the Reagan era had started. And that's really about it. There is one or two scenes on a baseball diamond. There are a couple of scenes... Uh, which characters play ping pong, and everyone's very competitive and stuff. So it is tempting to not think of this as a sports film, but when you do look at it through that lens and you see how it does sort of play in the idea of a sports movie, especially the notion of camaraderie and and uh, a team spirit, if you will, and the idea that sports is a very bonding experience for some people, maybe not for Nick and I growing up, obviously, but like clearly... It's quite an assumption. Maybe. It is quite an assumption I'm making. <laughs> if you, if the people who were listening to this podcast could see us, they would see that we are peak physical specimens that no, truly I don't think look, I look, that bad. look jockish, <laughs> jockish to the utmost. I'm, it's funny because I, I have a kind of love-hate relationship with sports movies in the same way that I have a love-hate relationship with sports. Mm. And... Uh, there's something really wonderful and beautiful about how Richard Linklater is setting these guys that are very, they're, they're the kind of people I tried to avoid in high school and college, these very jockish alpha male types. Mm-hmm. And to see the way that he kind of takes their bromoerotic story and turns it into this wonderful thing about youth and finding your identity and that weird moment between you're stopped being a teenager, but you're not quite an adult yet. Um, I just It's so beguiling. It's such an intoxicating movie for me. I, I love it, no matter how many times veteran critics will make fun of me for liking it. Do you have anything to add, Nick? Um, well, I mean, I'm still reeling from the uh, assessment of my uh, physical shape here. <laughs> we can settle this with a Greco-Roman wrestling match. Or, or, well, Women I also I have a BMI scale. We can <laughs> consult after this. But were you sort of drawn to it for the same reasons, or did you find the appeal somewhere else? Mm, well, I mean, I'm always interested to see what uh, what Dick Linklater is going to be up to, and uh, I may be one of about a dozen people who will 
go to bat hardy har for the uh, bad news bears remake uh of 2005 ish it was 2005 there we go do you see an affinity between that film and this film in any way i mean actually the baseball action is a little more prominent in in bad news bears uh i mean again it's not merely for uh like a depiction of uh you know, action on the diamond that I went to see the movie. Right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in the in the Linklater project. How would you describe that? Well, it's it's a dizzyingly eclectic uh, body of work, <laughs> isn't it? Yes. Which I think is very much to his credit. It's one of those careers that I've found gratifying to uh, to stay with, and I liked very much. Well, I was intrigued to see, given the fact, and I don't want to for a second give the impression that Boyhood was a not well-received movie, but there were some mumblings about the fact that maybe its critical standing had something to do with the fact that the lead character, uh, Mason, was kind of close to the sort of young man that many uh, film writers uh, were. Mm -hmm. And the same kind of charges certainly couldn't be leveled towards everybody wants some. (laughs) Yeah, um, I can understand why a lot of critics, not just female critics, but a lot of critics overall, have sort of felt that there's a kind of dude broness here that is getting... I think Amy Nicholson called it a soft pass because it's Richard Linklater. And that the notion that, especially for the first half hour, which I had a real problem with the first time I saw the film and less of a problem with the second time I saw it and not that much of a problem with it at all by the third time I saw the film, that it's just, it's very much a locker room movie. It's very much a, I'm going to punch you in the arm and then I'm going to high five you while we're getting it on with some babes upstairs drinking beer, bro. Um, but I think you can't underestimate the touch that Linklater brings to this story and the fact that for as much as you're watching the first half hour of this movie and thinking, like, why am I hanging out with these toxic alpha jocks? You start to understand that a lot of that stuff is essentially a pose and that there's a part, I don't think it's giving too much away to say in the middle of the film, there's this discussion of identity and the notion that people are kind of trying these various things on here and there. And to me, that makes it a much more universal film even than something like Boyhood, which to me feels like very, very much universal film. I also take into the consideration that I am a straight, white, male film critic of a certain age, and that, you know, I may be responding to this film partially because of that in a way that other people who do not share my characteristics might find it slightly offensive or um, not as relatable. I find this this really curious and you hear this all the time. You you referenced a particular review, but this idea that if uh, you know if this if such and such movie wasn't by such and such a director, uh, we wouldn't be receiving it this way. It's like how how does anybody have any idea? That's just a completely like theoretical construction. Right, <laughs> There's yeah. no way speculative to, to a fault. Sure. Yeah. Like it, so how how on earth do you know that? In the vein of Marvel, what if classics. What if? <laughs> God, God love you for referencing what if. When's the great MCU what if film going to happen? <laughs> that sh- yeah. We're all concerned about this. I would, I would. Or what the? 
Or, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's the dude with the, like, pot on his head. <laughs> yeah, the pot the pot on his head with the eyes sticking out. Like Forbush Man or something like this. I don't know. You're, you're definitely going back in the stacks yeah. for that one. Nick, I'm very impressed. Yeah. Well, Excelsior. I'm going to turn it back to uh, questions of sports and narrative and how those two interact because it's like thinking about sports movies it's interesting to see how the narrative of a boxing movie is never going to be anything like the narrative of a baseball movie or a football movie and that's sort of built into not just the sport but the ways that we understand the sport so i think there really is like a hierarchy in the way that certain sports work Mm-hmm. on film and you you cited boxing boxing and uh, cinema have been sort of hardwired together from the get-go right literally from the get-go yeah. from the get-go first feature film is corbett fitzsimmons fight 1897 on wide gauge uh you know smash smash film <laughs> did gangbusters business dan strebel has a you know whole book about this the boxing kittens the boxing kittens, of course, which has <laughs> who hasn't basically come back around. But. Yeah, who hasn't thrilled to that? <laughs> we are we are retreating into early cinema, aren't we? The cinema of attractions. Yes, <laughs> it's a good point. We've come full circle now, so we can stop making movies. Exactly. Just well, God willing. <laughs> and then I, I think boxing certainly has place of privilege, and then from there. You might uh, some some would make claims for the baseball movie. The football movie has a handful of very successful examples, I think, but it's hard because, first of all, football's difficult to break down, uh, even in a like broadcast situation that is dedicated precisely to doing that. And I've never seen a soccer movie in my life because I'm from the United States. <laughs> Well, also, I oh, mean, you don't know what you're missing, Nick. But, really, but I think that's a good point because um, boxing has a portability and a yeah. universality that, yeah. like, you know, explain what a first down is to a Chinaman. Would he understand? <laughs> Would he care? You know, <laughs> actually, Violet, I was in Beijing, <laughs> <laughs> and they care quite a f- much. <laughs> no, the, 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 NF, the, the NFL is here. doing a lot of like outreach stuff, and in downtown, actually, it was in downtown Tianjin. They had like a whole football field mm-hmm. laid out. I saw some kids pulling in some pretty good, uh, pretty good passes. Oh, so that's good because there. Is, I mean, there are. I mean, stuff it. You racist. <laughs> yeah. Well, the NBA is also sort of trying to expand in Europe as well. well I mean, very these, successfully is yes. expanded in Europe and is well represented in the NBA now. Exactly. Yeah. It's interesting because those efforts are, you know, media is sort of the first thing that helps people get these ideas as children and helps build these things. Whereas, you know, these expansions are just sort of, these are very much corporate things where it's like mm-hmm. NFL throws down like a billion dollars and it's like, okay, we got a stadium now and we can start recruiting people that way or getting people interested in these franchises that way mm-hmm. playing but. a couple games a year in wembley stadium over in london exactly yeah but. cincinnati Bengals will be there <laughs> you know it's 2016 po- it's possible to make football cinematic i keep going back to the the like the last 20 minutes of harold lloyd's the freshman and that thing where he's sort of you know he's rushing through all these things and the camera's trailing behind him and occasionally trailing in front of him and and you really get this incredible rush when you watch it. It's a very visceral sequence. 
And, you know, I haven't played a lot of football in my day, but I have played some. And there really is that sense of like the rush, dodge, pass, parry, thrust kind of feeling that you get when you're playing football. But then when I try to think of like really great football films, it's funny how football doesn't seem to really play into them that much. Well, it runs into a lot of the same problems that war movies sometimes do. Is yeah. You have a lot of indistinguishable people with helmets on who are... <laughs> like tangled together in an enormous scrum on the gridiron and it's kind of hard to track uh what's going on i mean in the case of you know a single like standout set pieces it can work wonderfully well sure. but in like to sort of compress the drama of say an entire season into a, a single film it's it's rarely well pulled off the one instance i always go back to is robert aldrich's uh, the longest yard which of course just has at its as its centerpiece and climax this one game between the prison team that is quarterbacked and captained by Berth Reynolds and a guards team and uh, Aldrich himself played some college ball he knows the mechanics of the game very well and it has you, you really do get some of the thrill of seeing like big yardage plays being ripped off like when Burt Reynolds connects with his first you know when he drops that first pass in I swear to god I rewatched the movie like a year ago I was alone in my living room and I did like a fist pump like <laughs> yeah <laughs> my god to have been a fly on that wall Nick. Yes. get it no and you can tell I mean again it, it comes down to you could say this about any set piece in a film but it comes down to how how well the filmmaker understands what he or she wants to do and how they're going to do it you can you compare any of the football scenes in the longest jar which i'm i'm with you i'm i'm a huge fan i think i rewatched it about five years ago and i remember i remember thinking like wow this really holds up this wasn't just one of those movies i watched when i was a kid that i have those rose you know i see i'm seeing through rose colored glasses it really just holds up as a movie beautifully and then you contrast that with another movie that i love uh robert altman's mash Mm -hmm. that has some totally incomprehensible football scenes in it because he doesn't care about them. He really doesn't seem like... It seems like the sports are an afterthought. It's more an idea of just kind of getting a bunch of people out there and having some sort of wacky hijinks and shenanigans on the field. In which point, you, you almost can't consider MASH a sports movie. It's a movie that happens to have a scene of sports in it. Mm -hmm. But with a lot of football films, I feel like even when they're trying to be sports movies, they're about something else. It becomes like what we... What we talk about when we talk about football movies, it's, it's rarely football. When I talk about semi-tough, it's rare that I talk about the football. Uh, when I talk about on any given Sunday even, it's rare that I talk about the football. Rudy, which may be the consummate football movie, the consummate sports underdog football movie, again, I, I think about the underdog aspect of it first before I start thinking about the football aspect of it. Mm. I'm trying to think of a possible exception, and I mean, nothing's really springing to mind. It starts being like, oh, we're talking about masculinity. Oh, we're talking about the triumph of the underdog. Oh, we're talking about how, you know, the corporate influences in sports and franchises and how that affects the actual game itself. But, uh, you know, a film that's just for the love of the game of football, um, I mean, it's one of those things that nothing immediately really springs to mind. Yeah, and I, I should say, like, I tend to recoil from any movies that revolve around that all of that sort of John Wooden character building sort of stuff. Yep. <laughs> Uh, that's just not something that I find a particularly attractive narrative. So I have, for example, never seen Rudy. I don't know a great deal about the vast pool of films out there which are about finding dignity even in loss. Uh, I tend to like things which 
are able to translate a game to into cinematic grammar in a interesting and elegant way. But it's funny that you say dignity without loss because my favorite, arguably my favorite sports movie, the film that works as a sports movie and the movie that I consistently go back to whenever I'm asked to participate in polls about this or we're making lists or what have you. And coincidentally, it just had its 40th anniversary on Thursday is the original Bad News Bears. Mm -hmm. And given that it's 40 years old, I apologize if I'm spoiling anything for (laughs) listeners at this point, but... It's a film that you expect to end in a very tried and true sports movie way in which you've been following the the scrappy underdogs, you know, the slobs that are taking on the snobs in this thing. And you expect that through sheer gumption and pluck that these kids are going to win this great little league tournament that they've got against the better stacked Yankees. Not coincidentally named mm-hmm. that little league team, the Yankees. And the film ends essentially with our heroes losing. And they are asked to go shake the hands of the players at the end, and they're all supposed to be good sports because that's what sports is all about. It's how you play the game. And Vic Morrow, who's the coach of the Yankees, starts to give some great speech about how all these kids, oh, you guys, you played such a good game, and this and that and the other. And he's interrupted by one of the, the Bears who goes, hey, you could take your trophy and your, your second-place trophy and all that and your win and shove it up your ass. And then the kids kind of break into this huge sort of victory melee on the field and again it's they've not only lost with dignity they've won the same with uh with rocky the entire notion that this guy has gone the distance the fact that he could do it at all even if he didn't exactly win that first time out is really what the that's the triumph that's the actual win right there and uh you know i said uh dizzyingly eclectic earlier where's our michael ritchie retrospective oh god where is where's our michael ritchie of this generation <laughs> period um, my God, what a what a great filmmaker! What a vastly underrated. Hey, filmmaker. Downhill Racer, Downhill Racer, also a Michael Ritchie joint. Let's yeah. just let's just uh, transition into fifteen minutes of palaver about Downhill <laughs> Racer. <laughs> Smile, Smile wouldn't be considered a sports movie because it's just about uh, people lifting very heavy amounts of weight. Uh, I mean, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar appears, however, in a meaty role in Fletch. That's right. So Meaty <laughs> role might be pushing it slightly, but yeah. Well, he fantasizes about being on the Lakers. Followed yes. by some delightful race play, his memory serves. <laughs> yeah. yes. not, not a, not a wor- signal of words or sequence of words you hear very often. A delightful <laughs> bout of race play with Mr. Chevy Chase. Well, this, this is a safe space, so feel free <laughs> to say whatever is in your heart. Um, I mean, you're getting to something interesting here, which is um, this idea that... That can't possibly be so. Sorry. (laughs) Please help me. (laughs) Um, So think about a film like 42. In certain films, sports are the backdrop. In other films, race is sort of supposed to be the center, but really it's the backdrop because, for instance, The Help, where it's about civil rights, but really white characters are the focus. And here, it's like not that's not the case so how would you how how do we sort of understand these films or you know like um bingo long and the traveling all-stars I'm so glad i was just which, about to bring that up which is a which i think is a really fantastic, fantastic movie. movie yeah agreed because that's also i think a big component of sports movies too is, is is actually this race aspect well in the case of bingo long as memory serves the director john Badham was English born, but had spent a good chunk of his youth, I think, in Birmingham, Alabama. Mm -hmm. And 
I don't know if the years match up when he would have been able to still see like a barnstorming black team like the Indianapolis Clowns, who the team in Bingo Long is sort of vaguely based on. But I believe that he was of age to have at least kind of some memory or to have something about that period directly relayed to him. And that's a fascinating movie precisely because it keeps all sense of indignity just underneath the surface. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's, you know, the great uh, scene where the team is kind of coming to town on one of these, one of these tours and they're like cakewalking through and really, you know, putting on the shine and nothing is, you know, not too fine a point is put on anything, but the strain evident you can palpably feel. It is also an absolute like showcase of black actors of yeah. the period. You have Billy D. Williams at his most silkily charming, <laughs> uh James Earl Jones having as much fun as I've ever seen him have on Pryor. screen. Prior, yeah. It's like a it's like a choral performance where it's like one character will say something another character will like add on to that and another person will add on to that and it's just like i can't think of another movie that does that so flawlessly and it's just so funny and you just you have to keep up and it's not like it's a film that's about a white coach who's taking this black team you know through that circuit during that era it's very much a film that is told from their perspective and is about their perspective and about their experience doing this. It doesn't downplay the fact that they were in, you know, very racially perilous times at that point. And nor does it make that the entire center of the film in which the fact that they're a baseball team seems, you know, tertiary at best. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just such a wonderful film. Do you think that film could have been made in another era? Do you think it's one of those films that came along at a point in which people recognized that um, that there was an audience for this? and a genre with a specific sort of name to it, shall we say, that kind of allowed them to like get that film in there and have it sort of transcend what we would call black exploitation film? Well, I mean, this, the 70s for me are like a bit of a treasure trove for this, not just movies like Bingo Long, because there aren't really movies like Bingo Long, right. but for movies that kind of fit into this sort of roadshow entertainer tradition. And you see a lot of these that reflect the experience of, you know, sportsmen on various sort of rungs of the ladder of success. Uh, And you can look at, I mean, I know many people are terribly fond of George Roy Roy Hill's uh, Slapshot, which I've never managed to become totally enamored of. Uh, North Dallas 40, I, I, I would say, is a pretty terrific film uh, in its own terms. Um, Fat City is the first movie that oh came to my mind God, when you yes. a 70s sports movie, especially on various like, various rungs of success. Well, that um, being the very lowest rung. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and barely ascending that lowest rung. Um, Touching yeah. the ladder and then moving away. Exactly. <laughs> Touching the ladder and then uh, urinating blood upon it. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Hitting the heavy bag and then going out with tramp fruit pickers. <laughs> sometimes you hit the heavy bag and sometimes the heavy bag hits you. Yes. 
I mean, yeah, it is pretty much the apotheosis of like the seventies downer sports movie. <laughs> yes. But in 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 a way, that's partially why I, I love it is because it, it's it's proof that you can do more with the genre than just uplift. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that so often a film like Rocky is a great example. Rocky has its strengths and its weaknesses. But you walk out of that movie feeling uplifted, you know, and for a boxing picture, sometimes that's quite hard. You do not, I think it's safe to say you do not walk out of Fat City feeling uplifted. And furthermore, I don't think you walk out of it thinking that boxing is the the sweet science and nothing but. It is very much the idea that sports is not all taking place in this kind of higher realm, the sort of Don King Vegas higher realm, the NFL sports stadium higher realm that... There are, in fact, other circuits going on, and those circuits may not be incredibly pleasant. The fact club that, fighters. The club fighters. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you feel um, these are the only realms that these guys can compete in as athletes. Even Jeff Bridges' character, who is this you know, young up-and-comer, he's a young up-and-comer in a circuit that is a dead end <laughs> in a lot of ways. Right. And it's just, I, I don't know, I consistently find myself gravitating back to that movie when I hear about sports films especially sports films of the 70s, and thinking, like, there's a lot you can do with the genre that's not being done. Well, another movie that I find bears revisiting, like talking about these lower echelon club fighters, is uh, Robert Wise's The Setup with uh, oh, yeah. with uh, Robert Ryan, uh, who was himself a college boxer at Dartmouth, successful, and who goes... I, I myself uh, am not uh, an adherent of the sweet science, but I have heard from people who do box that this is, you know, one of the few, the few films in which you see somebody going the rounds who, first of all, kind of knows his way around the ring and knows how to hold himself as a fighter, and also a very punishing <laughs> movie in a way that few others are. Not just in the way that I mean, in the various. Uh, Various Rocky sequels, for example, where everybody's just landing these massive haymakers and every yeah. fight is just like one KO on top of another. And every punch sounds like the reverb from a gun in a spaghetti western. Yeah, yeah. It's like these howitzer uh, like, <laughs> like blasts <laughs> to the face over and over and over again. But no, it's just this like sloppy, slow, wearing down, war of attrition sort of deal. I mean, I, I find upon revisiting that there are aspects of that movie that don't quite work, but as long as you're in the ring with uh, Robert Ryan, it's terrific. And, I mean, from a visual standpoint, you can't beat it. Not just the, not just the noirish, shadowy look that, that the film gets. I can't remember. John Alton didn't shoot that, did he? I can't I, remember who I shot think, that. I can't recall either. Um, but just the kind of like you know textbook noirish look it gives. It's also, I'd say, next to Raging Bull, some of the best shot fight sequences you'll ever see in yeah. a movie. And it's funny because this is clearly being shot for realism. It's not to say it doesn't become you know poetic by proxy, but it if you look at the very expressionistic way that Scorsese and his cinematographer are shooting these boxing scenes in Raging Bull, which again is only part. It's a film only a partially about boxing, um, and then you compare them to the scenes in the setup. It's just, it's that much more impressive, I feel. Like, the fact that you're actually shooting these to seem, make them seem gritty and realistic, to make them seem as if you are in the ring with them um, in, in that film is amazing. Let me ask you a question. Do you consider uh, Hard Times a sports movie? Um, well, I mean, that's a, you know, that's a good question. Or uh, Every Which Way But Loose. These are like the yeah. like you know, bare-knuckle, uh, bare-knuckle sub, fighters. A sub-genre of the fight film, yeah. Yeah, also both like, 
belonging to this kind of 70s uh, school of kind of traveling uh, roadshow entertainer yeah, films. Yeah, the, the every which way but loose feels like, I mean, never mind the fact that it's a romp, first and foremost, it almost feels like the bare-knuckle fighting aspect is, is an afterthought. It's not to say that those scenes aren't done well. Yeah. And, you know, Clint Eastwood doesn't look impressive, you know, throwing a punch. But it's like Hard Times to me, in a way, feels like it fits the kind of downer sports film template. Oh, yeah. Even abs- though it's it's hard to say whether it's actually a sports film or not. Yeah, with the, like, madly austere uh, Charles Bronson character who yeah. lives in this, like, bare-bulb garret yeah. with his, his kitten, who he brings a quart of milk <laughs> home to, and the obligatory, like, Jill Ireland love interest <laughs> subplot. You get Bronson, you get Ireland. <laughs> yeah. That's the deal, folks. <laughs> But yeah, and, and the fight scenes in, in that, especially that great fight scene, I can never remember his name, the the bald actor, yeah, yeah. the bald uh, stuntman actor that shows up in a lot of those Burt Reynolds films, just an amazing presence. The the huge fight between the two of them at the end, I mean, you talk about amazing Walter Hill filmmaking, what? amazing sports filmmaking right there. And it's also, it's it's great because truly, like, you get something in Hard Times that you get in no other like boxing movies it's all about body work it's all about yeah. going to the ribs it's all about going in low burrowing in and everybody who's a headhunter in that movie gets punished that's like that's the lesson that one takes away from hard times it's like don't don't uh, don't go for those big uh, wild swings nope. you just you cover up you go inside burrow in work the body the golds and the kidneys folks yeah that's the kind of takeaway i like from a film what about less physically active sports like uh bowling and kingpin or you know maybe uh what was another one shit scarface it's got, <laughs> it's got some good bowling in it. <laughs> <laughs> or caddyshack caddyshack would you consider that's not really a sports movie Sports just happen to be there. No, no, I could Caddyshack's a sports movie. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. There's a huge tournament at the end where the young kid's got to uh gotta prove his medal. He's got a again a snobs versus slobs template, but it's right. definitely a sports movie, even if it's not first and foremost a sports movie. I mean I'm sure there were a lot of golfers out there. Bowlers aren't gonna get mad if you don't call bowling a sport because they're too tired. They can't at least they can't get off the couch, frankly, to be bothered. Mm-hmm. You know, golfers are out walking around, they're getting a lot of vitamin E. They might get slightly more agitated if you're like, oh, the golf films aren't sports films. But mm. even if you don't consider golf a sport, um, Caddyshack does kind of fit the sports the sports movie model mm. in a lot of ways. And Monty Hellman's Cockfighter. Oh. The Sport of Kings. Cockfighting. <laughs> it's true. A less physical... Only kings watched that. <laughs> Only true. kings. A less physical sport, not so much for the poultry, of which it is very physical, yes. but for the owners, perhaps. Warren Oates, not, not doing a lot of... Uh, not doing a lot of body work in that. No, no. Go for the wings and thighs. Do either of you have any fond um, NASCAR films? Because I saw Legend of Ricky Bobby once in the theater, and it was, it just, uh, it didn't, it didn't work for me for a variety of reasons. Well, I mean, what about uh, Robert, the Robert Mitchum pinned Thunder Road about the origins mm, of NASCAR? Or, or speaking of Mitchum, uh, Lusty Men. Which uh, oh the rodeo picture oh, yes well uh, you you've just uh, run uh, Junior Bonner through your projectors here at the Film Society <laughs> of Lincoln Center an enormously moving film which converses in 
rather obvious, admittedly, uh, ways with the uh, with the lusty men. But yeah, I like a good Bronco busting picture. I guarantee you, by you guys mentioning the lusty men somewhere out there, Kent Jones' ears just perked up. Yes, <laughs> it's. Uh, uh, Greased, so we're just naming movies now. I think, <laughs> oh, we, I mean, Greased Lightning is the one race car movie that immediately comes to mind when I think of like a sports film. And again, you know, it's. It's a sports film that talks about a lot of things besides the sport that's at its center, but it also has some really great racing sequences. Um, it's a great prior movie. I think, to me, that's the one that sticks out the most. I'm sure there's other professional racing films out there that I'm forgetting, but... Well, it's a two-lane blacktop, and... But not, is that a... I guess that's a sports movie. Well, I mean, here's the Cannonball I mean, Run? Is that here's a the movie? thing. Like, we... We we again and again do this thing where we say, well, it's it's a movie that's you know it's about baseball, let's say, but it's not really about baseball. And in most cases, well, maybe it's not really about baseball, but there's a great deal of baseball being played. In the case of <laughs> in the case of Tulane Blacktop, there's not a single distinguishable race scene. <laughs> They're always like shot in the extreme distance. You can see that there are two cars driving and some dust being kicked up but you know that's the extent of it uh and it's i had heard it said at one point that cockfighter was supposed to be sans cockfighting scenes <laughs> it's gonna be kind of burying the lead at that point i yeah. guess right that's for sure um well i guess could we talk about the lusty men because why not because it's such a fantastic fucking movie I don't think of the rodeo sequences necessarily first and foremost. I think of that great shot, great series of shots of uh, Robert Mitchum coming home after a rodeo. Yes. Those beautiful dissolves where he's walking across those, you know, he's jumping the fence and he's walking across those that long sort of desolate thing up to up to the porch of the house and looking through the window and, and all that. And it becomes sort of like... It's it's sort of the the sportsman, you know. If you don't want to call a rodeo person an athlete, let's call him a sportsman. The sort of sportsman returning after the sport is done. It's sort of like I've I've trained and I've I've obsessed over doing this particular thing, and this is what I live for. This is what I excel at. This is what I do. This is my gladiatorial sport or arena of choice, and then it's done. And so, what do I have to do? I go back to this house and I wait for the next the next rodeo. I wait for the next bout where I can actually show that I'm not just a schmo in, you know, a cowboy hat and boots. That to me is what makes me understand it as a sport because bef mm. before I saw that film, I was like, I, you know, personally, I thought that it was a little disgusting or just not appealing or just, I couldn't make sense of it. And that, and the lusty man really made me understand it. And it's like, okay, yeah, this, this makes perfect sense in the way that certain war movies make you understand why certain people have to go to war and they have a really hard time being in peacetime. It's funny. I saw This Sporting Life uh, at a very young age, and I think that might have been one of the few films that I saw, having not played a lot of sports growing up, some but not a lot, where I sort of understood like, oh, okay, I get it now. Mm -hmm. Like, it makes sense. It makes sense why, why people do this. It makes sense why this is a huge part of people's lives. It makes sense why... Thing. And I mean, you know, I saw it, I saw it probably a little bit younger than I should have. Mm. Um, but it was one of those films, seeing those rugby scenes and, and Richard Harris and all that, especially the scene at the end, too, when he goes right back out on the pitch. It really just kind of moved me as a kid. It made me really think like, oh, okay, this is there's something kind of noble and fucked up about this. Yeah. There was no another film that made you sort of understand a sport a more profoundly or understand it just as a sport, period. 
and I don't know. I I'm I'm I'd be at a loss to answer that. Okay. I'd like to just do one quick shout out to Sugar. Mm. Sugar to me is a great it's a great baseball film, but and it's a great film period. I'm just a huge fan of of Ryan Fleck and Adam Bowden's work overall and you know, this being the follow up to Half Nelson, which was a film that I was absolutely over the moon for. It's like, oh, I, I don't really think they can top that film. Um, but at least they gave us that film. And then you see Sugar. It is this incredible understanding of of how sports play into the American dream mm-hmm. while still being very much a sports movie. Uh, but it is the notion of this um, player from the Dominican Republic who is recruited to come over and play in the minor leagues. Uh, Sugar is his nickname. And it's essentially about his sort of journey through America. And they could have very well been like, this is what America looks like through the eyes of an immigrant and nothing more. But it is a much richer film than that. I keep going back to the scene of um, uh, a number of immigrant players that are, you know, these sort of fish out of water in the middle of, in in middle America going like, this is an entirely foreign country to be like, I, I, this culture, I do not, I don't understand it. And then being in a diner and just ordering pancakes over and over again and finding such joy in, in eating this without making it seem condescending of like, oh, look, they're enjoying pancakes. Oh, well, adorable. Just this real incredible sense of how sports factor into our country and what it, what our country looks like to these athletes that come over here and stuff. And then what happens if, say, these athletes don't make it? How, how does their relationship with this country change or with the sport itself change? It's just such a rich, fascinating movie. I've seen it a number of times over the years, and it's just one of those things that I keep finding new stuff in it that, that I really love. And, I mean, that's kind of why we go to the movies in general, right? Like, not just sports movies, but you know the movies overall there's a number of reasons we do it but that's one of them i'd like to give a shout out to peter bogdanovich's hustle <laughs> starring tom size morris pete rose just kidding it's a terrible movie <laughs> i will however tip the hat to uh, charles stone the third's mr 3000 mm-hmm. starring bernie mac gone too soon way too soon yeah a, a, a wonderful uh film about uh middle age and coping with one's diminished capacities uh you could say that uh everybody wants some is like a wonderful movie about the times when you are above a hangover and (laughs) mr 3000 is very much a uh, film about uh the metabolism slowing to a crawl and <laughs> trying never ends trying to make every at bat that you have left to you count yeah i think it's due for reappraisal some wonderful scenes a great american ballpark in cincinnati ohio on that note can we go around and say uh, one film in the spirit of last 10 films one film that we've seen recently that we liked i'll go first so you guys can think of one I was on a plane on Monday and I finally got to see Inside Out and the people next to me who refused to um, stand up when I needed to get past them. I was sitting in the window seat. Uh, They were clearly judging me for watching a children's film. I don't care. It was wonderful. I laughed. I cried. Cry cry when Bing Bong died? Hell yeah, I cried. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. I was doing one of these with the chin shaking and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't even hold it in. Uh, well, I uh, I reviewed uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid here yes. yesterday, and uh, as with the entirety of the Peckinpah corpus, uh, it's sickening to uh, self-identify with any movie <laughs> this much. <laughs> 
Times have changed. I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) It contains... Better this than Straw Dogs, maybe. It contains (laughs) a half dozen of, I think, the most beautiful scenes in American pictures. And I I got nothing more to say about that. There's a documentary coming out. It's gonna be playing. Uh, it's gonna be playing a festival around here, and then it's gonna be playing on American Masters. I think in a couple of months, called by Sidney Lumet, that I think is absolutely incredible. And it kind of uh, it shocked me because, as much as I'm a fan of Sidney Lumet, sitting a documentary which is essentially Sidney Lumet sitting around talking about his life, mm-hmm. interspersed with clips of his movies. I mean, we've we've seen a lot of these types of documentaries, and very often they don't work, or very often they seem like a kind of hag- hagiography by, by default or they're just very lazily, shoddily constructed. But the way this film is put together is really wonderful. It's a very smart use of his clips. It's a very smart use of him, of, of clips of him talking about his life interspersed with clips from his films. And it's not necessarily an A equals B kind of thing, but incredibly informative about how his artistic process worked, about how a lot of his life bled into these films it starts off with him telling an anecdote about being a soldier and being in a foreign country and seeing a young woman, I mean, very young, very, very young, a child being passed around as a plaything for these soldiers. And the notion that this young woman was offered to him and he refused. And he did not feel noble because he refused. He felt horrible because he did nothing about it. And it would be very easy and reductive to be like, and that's why he spent the rest of his life making these social justice pictures to make up for it. But the fact of the matter is, A, he made a variety of different pictures, and B, the documentary never stoops to say that that was why he became, he was so obsessed with justice and, and you know the moral crusade. Uh, it's a really extraordinarily well-put-together, well-edited piece of work, and I recommend that everybody see it. Did you like De Palma, the documentary about I have never been a De Palma fan. And I'm incredibly interested to see this documentary because I feel like there are constantly artists or bands or films occasionally that you just don't get. You don't understand the fervor. And people try to explain it to you and you just don't get it. It doesn't quite work for you. And then there's always that wonderful moment, if you're lucky, when the key turns in the lock and suddenly it's like it just blooms and you're suddenly like, this is what I've been missing this is what I don't get. This is why I haven't responded to this person's work or, or this piece of art or whatever. And I'm consistently holding out hope that that's always going to happen with De Palma. I keep going back to his old movies and rewatching them. And, and you know, other than Greetings and Hi, Mom, I've never really found two that I've fallen head over heels in love with. And so I'm hoping that the De Palma thing's going to help me. Okay. Does it reveal what's in his safari jacket pockets? No, he was born with that. Gum. <laughs> Lots of gum. This is like harmonicas, like the blues traveler guy. <laughs> De Palma's often been called the John Popper of cinema, so that would, that would make a lot of sense. Now we, now we find out why. Anyway, thank you both for coming. Thank you. This is wonderful. Thanks. You've been listening to the Film Comet podcast, produced by Violet Luca and Nicholas Rapold, with music by Greg Anji. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com slash subscribe to purchase a digital or print subscription to the magazine. 
Film Comment, at the heart of film culture for over 50 years.